0: All right. Well, again, good morning and welcome to Hope Lower Town. <clears throat> Those who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here, and um, I'm not gonna move. Sorry, you okay? Oh, oh, you're just saying there's a lot of stuff up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. In case you couldn't tell, there's a lot of flowers up on the stage, and they they took over. So Andrew said, whoever was doing a flower competition, they won uh, with that. So, uh, anyways, it is beautiful though. Can't complain. Um, happy Easter. Uh, yeah, I was going, I was going, but this is just one of those weeks where, where you, when you, you know, as, as a, as a preacher of God's word, you're like, yeah, don't, don't mess this one up. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is what Christianity is all about. Uh, this is about Jesus rising from the dead, right? How hard can this be? And, and yet if you've been going to church for a while, you're like, yeah, I, I know Jesus rose from the dead, right? And so I, I had to, I went back and was going through my Old notes, like, what did I preach on before? Because I don't want to say the same thing again, uh, right? Because and, and it was like, yeah, because you all remember uh, the last four times I've preached on this. Um, and Paul preached a couple years ago when, when I was on paternity leave. And uh, yeah, so of course we remember everything. Uh, no, that's not true. So I wanted to uh, take a different approach from what I've done in the past, uh, which I, I, it was, I, I'm glad it, it turned out the way it did. Hopefully you will feel the same, same way. But I have a quick question. and, and, and <laughs> How do you respond when you're startled or scared? I, I, some of you who know me know that I am incredibly jumpy. Like I am like just obnoxiously jumpy. Like I throw my back out, I hurt my neck. Um, I've got a backpack on, the little dangly cord hits me and I'm, what is that, right? It's just that I, I'm that way. But when I know it's coming... I don't, I don't get scared. Haunted houses, they do, they do nothing for me. Uh, I've done the ones where you sign waivers and you go out in the misty forest and they can grab you. And I'm like, get your hands off me. Like, it's not scary. Okay. I know you're just a guy in a mask uh, with a fake chainsaw. I'm not, it just doesn't do anything for me. But uh, my two-year-old <laughs> sneaking up behind me in the kitchen when I'm cooking, touching my leg, whoa, <laughs> right? It's, it freaks me out when I don't know it's going to happen. I, I, I freak out. And, and, and I want to look at the resurrection this morning and ask the question, is the resurrection a thing? And were people surprised by it? Should they have been surprised by it, right? When Jesus raised, is raised from the dead, are, are the disciples like, whoa, I never saw this coming. And, and why are they like that? And I want to look at the Bible and ask the question, should they have been surprised by the resurrection? And so I just want to start off with what does resurrection mean? We talk about Jesus being raised from the dead. What do we mean? If, if, we're, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus, when I say I believe in the resurrection, I mean I believe that he rose from the dead. <laughs> like you, I tried to do like a, like a cool, deep word study on what resurrection means it means risen from the dead. (laughs) It's what it means. Uh, Bodily, it is a bodily resurrection. It's not just a a spiritual resurrection. The Bible is usually very clear on whether it's just, a a, not just, but a spiritual resurrection or a bodily resurrection. Um, But resurrection, when just used as that word, always means a bodily, physical resurrection. And so we need to keep that in mind. And so I want to ask the question, do we see resurrection anywhere else in the Bible? Do we we get a glimpse of what resurrection is? Should the disciples not have been surprised when Jesus rises from the dead? Are we surprised when it happens? Should we be surprised when it happens? A lot of you know that I teach systematic theology, and and systematic theology is just, just in short, is you take a certain topic, let's just take resurrection for example, and you and you find all the all the main points and in systematic in the Bible, and you and you take this high point and this high point and this high point, and then you develop a systematized view of resurrection. All right? It's a neat way to study scripture and theology and doctrine. That's great. Another way though to do it is biblical theology. And I know I've talked about this before, but biblical theology, again, let's take resurrection. That what happens is uh, I found some random graph. The graph isn't important, but the line is important, okay? Biblical theology is this line, meaning you start in Genesis chapter 1, verse one on the far left, and you end in Revelation 21, all the way on the far right, Revelation 22, sorry. Revelation 22 on the far, far right, and what happens is there are going to be certain passages, Genesis 2 and 3, where, where Jesus talks about, or God talks about in the creation, uh, that if you eat of this tree, you're going you're gonna to die. Okay, well, we have an understanding of death, but does that help our understanding of resurrection? Not, not really. And so there are some implicit passages that might bump us up a little bit, but then there are some very explicit passages that make us shoot up namely the cross are some of those uh, points where we go, wow, now I understand resurrection a little bit more. It should never go down. That's why this graph is, is key, because it never, you never lose knowledge in biblical theology. You go from left to right and you're gonna, you're gonna gain. You're gonna get some more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge. It's a superior way to study the Bible. The problem is you have to read the Bible cover to cover every time you wanna study theology. And so it's not very practical. All right? But I wanna do a little bit of a biblical theology in kind of chronological order. Uh, and I wanna start in the Old Testament, why? Because if God is a God of resurrection, then we shouldn't only see it in Jesus, right? We should see it all over the place in the Bible. And so that's where I want to start. So again, we're gonna start with the implicit passages, meaning it's implied. There are at least 2,000 honorable mentions that we're not going to uh, highlight this morning. But one of them, as I kind of already hinted at, is the Garden of Eden, that we were created not to die. That's how human beings were created. We were created... Not to ever die. And that's why those of you who have ever had someone close to you or a loved one who has passed and has died, it hurts so much. Even if I'm a follower of Jesus and they're a follower in Jesus and I have hope that I'm going to see him again, it just hurts and it feels so wrong because it is so wrong. It's not the way we were designed. We weren't designed to die. It feels so unnatural. There's a finality to it or because of Jesus, we can expect um, to hope in something different. And so that's, again, that's death. Now let's look at resurrection. If we start off again, chronologically, the book of Job was probably the oldest book as far as what we have written, Uh, but Job, is that it's, it's a wild story. I'm not going to get into it, but, but Job loses everything. He loses 10 kids and his, all of his livelihood and his property and everything is completely destroyed by the devil. And Job, is, is it says he, he does all this and he doesn't sin. However, when you start reading the story of Job, you can see he is not happy. He is very angry with God. And, and I think that if we put ourselves in Job's shoes, we'd go, mm, yeah, I think he has a right to be angry with the creator. And so there's, a, there's this passage here that I wanna read and put it in a little bit of context because there's a couple of verses that he says that are very popular, but in context, Job is saying, where is God? My God, where are you in this? I need to have my trial. I need to see you. If you, if you are creator and you're, you're doing this or allowing this to happen, then you at least owe me a conversation, okay? So that's kind of what's happening here. And Job is having a conversation with his three friends, four friends, uh, and and he's talking with them back and forth. And this is his reply to one of his friends. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Right? You can hear his his angst towards God. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, as they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in a rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Okay, that's kind of, this, kind of one of these coffee mug verses. And I remember singing the song in a hymn, right? I know my Redeemer lives. And it was always this positive thing. Job though was taking the opposite approach saying, you owe me God, you owe me a day in court. And I know that you're alive. I know that you're real. I don't doubt that. And there's gonna be a day where you're gonna stand on the earth. And after, this is where I wanna get into the implicit aspect of resurrection. After my skin has been destroyed, yet yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That he knows that there's something more than death. There's something about life after death, even in his flesh. And with my eyes, I will see God. Again, not explicit, but implicit. Ezekiel 37, we studied Ezekiel not too long ago, at least some of these prayers. And Ezekiel, I'm gonna get into an Isaiah passage as well, that these implicit passages are about the nation of Israel, but there's a physical resurrection used to describe God's relationship with Israel, raising Israel up from the dead. You've abandoned me, you've left me, you've died. I'm gonna bring you back to life. And so he uses this resurrection kind of language. And so in Ezekiel 34, 37, verse 1 through 6, says this The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones in the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. I love that response. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and you will make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin and I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. And guess what? This, This happens. Ezekiel prophesies over dead bones and they come to life. They're raised from the dead. Right, A very literal thing that happens to imply resurrection spiritually of Israel. Again, in Isaiah, uses the same kind of language. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Again, implied language of resurrection, but there seems to be an understanding. Again, these are just a couple of passages that I chose. There's a whole lot more in the prophets, especially using resurrection type language. Let's get into a little bit more explicit passages. When we look at Genesis chapter 22, this is the story of Abraham, uh, the father of the Hebrew faith, and he has a son, his only son, Isaac. Old man, old wife, and they have this promised son that, this, that through this son, the nation of Israel is gonna be propagated and it's gonna spread and, and that the blessing of God, like the, like the stars in the sky, are gonna be through his son, Isaac. And God shows up to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. So Abraham goes up with Isaac And they're on their way up the mountain, and this is where the story takes up. He said, and Isaac says this The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. What's going on here? God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. He says, okay, I'm going to go through with this, I guess. And then as, right before he's about to do it, an angel of the Lord stops him and says, no, 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 I'm not that kind of God. I'm not like Murdoch or Baal, like these other nations around you that desire child sacrifice. Not a thing, not with me. No, 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 we don't do that. And yet Abraham had faith. What, and the author of Hebrews gives us a little bit more insight into this. He says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice who had embraced the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Here's the main point I wanted to get at. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And here's why I didn't put this in an implicit passage, but an explicit passage, is that Abraham had to have believed in a bodily resurrection. Not just spiritual afterlife, not just that, okay, yeah, maybe when God said that my, through my offspring, you know, it's gonna, we're gonna bless the nations, maybe that was a spiritual thing. No, no, no. Abraham knew that in some way, Isaac would be spared or he would at least be raised from the dead. He had to. It's a bodily resurrection. Even more explicitly, but as explicit as you can get, and it says in 2 Kings chapter 4, so when Elisha released, he's a, a, a prophet in the Old Testament, when Elisha reached the, the house where the boy was lying dead on his couch. So there's a long story here, backstory I'm not going to get into. But all of chapter four talks about Elisha and this uh, Shumite woman who has a boy. She, she can't get pregnant. And he's like, I'm going to bless you. And she has a baby, has a boy, he grows. And now this boy has died. So when Elisha reached the house where the boy was lying dead on the couch, he went in, shut the door and the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And then he got on the bed and they lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And he stretched himself out on the boy and his body grew warm. And Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. And the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shuamite." Uh, woman, this is uh, this is the woman from Shuham. She's a, she's a Gentile. She's not even an Israelite. She's not part. She's not Jewish. She's not Hebrew. And he and and he did. And when she came, he said, "Take your son." And she came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and she took her son and went out. That's as explicit as it can be. Someone died and then was brought back to life. And there's a couple more of those explicit cases in the Old Testament, but just for time's sake, we're gonna move on to the New Testament. And we're going to look at the life of Christ and look at Jesus. And in Luke chapter 8, we see this story of Jesus raising someone's daughter uh, from the dead. And when this happens... He, he's out. He's he's on his way to this person's house, and he's going to raise his daughter from the dead. And then, of the woman, a woman touches his his cloth, and, and she's healed. She's got some some conditions, and she's sick, and, and she's healed now of her uncleanliness. And Jesus pauses, and, and you can only put yourself and be the dad, right? Imagine being the dad in that story and saying, "Okay, hey, can we go? Can we go to this to my house? My daughter is dying." And, and we, you need to heal her. Let's go, let's go. And now you're gonna stop for this woman. Hey, there's more pressing matters. Let's, let's keep going. And as this is happening, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead, but she is sleeping. And they laughed, they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. It says they were weeping and mourning. And this was a, this is a huge part still of Middle Eastern culture, but uh, they would hire professional mourners Right, they would hire people that their whole job was just to weep and to wail and to, and to sing these sad dirges. And they would just, it was a whole, like a week-long process of mourning someone's death. And that's already started, right? The funeral procession for this young girl has already started. And Jesus shows up and he goes, no, 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 no. Don't, don't weep for her. Don't mourn for her. She's not dead, but she's sleeping. And they, they laugh at him, knowing that she was dead I know I've shared this before, but every Monday morning we get in a, a call and um, some just full time staff, some people and, and um, communicators, we get together and we uh, talk about the passage. Well, this week we didn't have a passage, it's just Easter. Hey, what do you talk about? Jesus being resurrected. Okay, cool. And uh, Pastor Korr from, from downtown he, just, he said this and it just stuck with me all week. He said, Jesus treats death like a nap, <laughs> right? It's just that's what he does. All right, people are like, they're laughing at him and Jesus gets the last laugh here because like, no, no, no. It's just, she's dead, but you don't have to worry. She's just sleeping. Let me, let me show you. He treats death like a nap. I love that phrase. And Jesus, and this is the next passage here in Luke chapter eight. Said, but taking her by the hand, he called saying, child arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Right? Just like imagine like, just, like, a kid. You're just taking a nap. Hey, buddy. Hey, time to get up. Time to get up. Oh, you need a snack. You're a little cranky. You need a snack. Time for some goldfish. And her parents were amazed. And he charged them not to tell anyone what had happened. It's just a nap. Just a nap to Jesus' death. There's no finality to death. So then why is the resurrection of Jesus different, better, more significant, right? If there are all these resurrections that happen, why is it such a big deal with Jesus? Here's why. In all those other cases, it is someone with the power of God through them, raising them from the dead. Elijah and Elisha. And at this point, up at this point in the story, it's been Jesus who's raising people from the dead. But now Jesus is the one who's dead. The prophet is the one who's dead. The king is the one who's dead. Who's gonna raise the prophet from the dead? <laughs> Jesus says this in John chapter 10. For this reason, the father loves me. What's the reason? What's the reason, Jesus, the father loves you? Because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I, just, I know this is impossible to do, but just try to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. They've seen Jesus do some wild things seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He's seen Jesus calm the storm. He's seen Jesus heal blindness and leprosy and all these things. And then Jesus says, yeah, I'm gonna die. He says it over three times, (laughs) very explicitly. I'm gonna die, but on the third day, I'm gonna rise again. And very explicitly here, I will take up my life. I'm going to do it. No one else is going to come in and touch my body and pray to the Father and say, Would you, Father, would you raise Jesus from the dead? That's not going to happen. I'm already dead and I'm still going to do it to myself. That's why it's different. Imagine, though, being that. Why are they so surprised? He says it to their faces. And then. And then the woe happens. Whoa, Jesus died? What? The Messiah? We thought he was the the one. He's going to die? Yeah, he said he was. So again, we mentioned this in the announcements. It was Friday, but now now Sunday's here. I'm going to read this passage. It wouldn't be Easter without reading the resurrection stories. I'm just going to read this passage and make a few comments here and there. But it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark, right, very early in the morning, and saw that a stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, I, I love that. So anytime uh, you, you read that in John, the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's him referring to himself in the third person, okay? So instead of saying he went to Simon Peter and John, he says he went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. All right, that's how he refers to himself, which I just love. And he said to them, they have taken, she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Thank you. Uh, John, for letting us know you are faster than Peter. I, I, I love that. You can't make that up. You know what I mean? He's like, I, I beat him and I'm going to write it down. It's getting in my story. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. <laughs> like what? Uh, you, 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 it's right in front of you now, right? It's right. They didn't understand that he had to rise from the dead, even though he explicitly told them this multiple times. And the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet and they said to her woman why are you weeping and she said to them they have taken away my lord and i do not know where they have laid him having said this she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. I think there's a couple reasons why she didn't recognize Jesus. I think one, maybe Jesus looked differently, a resurrection body, it's made new, something physically maybe was different. Maybe she never looked him in the face. Maybe she didn't look up. But what we do know from this context and from the story is that she was not looking for a resurrected Savior. She was looking for a dead Jesus. And now Jesus resurrected is standing in front of her. And I think there could be a little gospel application here is, are we looking for a resurrected Savior? Or are we just going along? Yeah, I guess, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's risen. Yeah, he's risen indeed. Yeah, amen, great. This is great. Yeah, read our Bible, it's cool. This is great. He is risen. Are we looking for a dead savior or a savior that cannot die? Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabbi," which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. All your faith and all your longing in God, in this moment, it's true all the history of the Israelites and, and the Messiah redeeming people. How did Jesus, but you died? Yeah, but I'm standing here in front of you. My father is your father. My God is your God. So I think one thing that at least pops into my, oh, sorry, I uh, keep going. Oh, I didn't click it. Okay, I messed up, sorry. Why isn't the resurrection more common, right? Well, how, if this is true, if this is true, let's play devil's advocate here. If that did happen, how come we don't see it more often? Even if these passages are true, I've never seen it. I've never witnessed it. When I teach uh, in class on miracles, and maybe I've mentioned it from the pulpit here, but I don't know, but I always teach on these. There's three criteria for a miracle to actually be a miracle. And I'm not gonna get into all of that. It's another sermon for another day, but... um, they're usually there's something that changed the natural order of what we know. That's that's the big thing. And so there are a lot of things that people would say, "Oh, that's a miracle, uh, right?" That you know, when I uh, you know my grandma gets a flat tire on the side of the road, and immediately there's someone right behind her to help her change a flat tire. It's a miracle. Hey, is it though, Grandma? You know what I mean? Like maybe is someone being nice. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if that categorizes as a miracle, right? So what what is a, a, a miracle specifically within the Bible, all we see really are three generations that witness, I mean, miracles. Three, that's it. You have people who walked and talked with Moses, who performed miracles, who God did wonders through him. You have Elijah and Elisha, thousands of years before Jesus, performing miracles, raising people from the dead, axe heads swimming, and it's all weird. Miracles, you can't explain it. And then you have Jesus and the apostles. That's it. That's it. From the entire history of humanity, there's only been a handful of people who have witnessed miracles. And when we look specifically at resurrection, Moses has zero. Moses never raises anyone from the dead. All the things that he did, he never raises anyone from the dead. You get to Elijah and Elisha. Elijah has one. Elisha raises two people from the dead. Three people now in the entire history of humanity, just up until 4,000 years ago, three have been raised by the power of God. And then you get to Jesus and he raises three, right? He's like, whoa, Jesus is here. He raises three people from the dead, not including himself. That, That doesn't count. So maybe four. And then you have the apostles. Paul raises one person to the dead, Peter raises one person the dead. Paul, not even that cool of a story. Some he's preaching. Some kid's up in the balcony, he falls asleep, falls, breaks his neck, dies. Paul's like, oh, I should heal him, bring him back to life. I don't I don't get to do that when you guys fall asleep. Nobody's died yet. <laughs> this is an outlier, right? We don't we don't get to see it because it's not common. It just isn't the natural way of life. It is completely unnatural in the sense that people are raised back to life. But in a positive way to steal the words of Job, I know my redeemer lives. And because of these historical accounts, I get to know and say the words that Jesus says to his disciples, that your father, his father is my father. And my father and all of his promises are true. My God and all that he says he is, is true. And so if we're waiting for that final resurrection that we see in the book of Revelation and we're waiting for that, maybe we won't witness that and that's okay. That just puts us in with the majority of human beings. But there will be a day where everything will be made right. Everything wrong and sad will become untrue because Jesus is true. Gospel application for today is this. Jesus treats death like a nap for those who put their faith in him. Case in point is the thief on the cross. You wanna demolish someone's theology? You wanna demolish their denomination? You wanna demolish what they think someone needs to believe in order to be saved? You go to the thief on the cross. What was his view on the Trinity? What was his view on baptism? What was his, fill in the blank? But he just, I imagine, right? He's standing in front of the, he's in the pearly gates. I don't think that's going to be a thing. And he's in the pearly gates and he's standing in front of Peter. And Peter's like, what are you doing here? I don't know. I don't know, the guy next to me said I was in, so I'm here. Like, that, like that's it. Like I had faith that he said he was who he said he was. And so I'm here. And Jesus treats death like a nap. <laughs> And yet I think that we're still surprised at this. I I think we should be. I think we get so used to it, right? We read it all the time. Yeah, resurrection. And he raised these people from the dead. He raised people from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. That should cause us to get a little two-year-old grabbing your leg here. Whoa, whoa. I think that should surprise us. And yet we shouldn't be surprised because he said it was here. And he said it was true. Why why should be excited? Why should be surprised? Because ladies and gentlemen, he is risen. No, no no no, he is risen. He is risen. Every week here at Lower Town we have communion. And what a what a, a beautifully fun, glorious day and a moment to take communion, that we have an opportunity to take these elements, a wafer that represents his body that was broken for us. It was Friday, but today it's Sunday. Now we know he didn't stay in the grave. I I know you've probably seen the meme and it always cracks me up where it's like, uh, you say Jesus uh, Jesus died for our sins, but didn't he rise on the third day? Isn't it more like he gave up a weekend for our sins? And it's like, yeah, that's true. But he rose from the grave. He raised himself from the dead. He died and came back to life. And when we take that wafer and we eat that, it's to remember that's what he did. We drink the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us to cover our sins, to absorb the wrath of God that we deserved. He takes it upon himself and he becomes both just and the justifier. And so when we take that juice, remember the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is finished. And then he goes and he's buried, but again, he doesn't stay there. He rises himself from the grave so that we might never experience the second death. So again, we'll remember these things. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. I would ask that you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to partake of these elements with us this morning as we remember the risen Lord. Let me pray and the worship team's gonna come and, and play a couple songs and then we will be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, thank you again, just for our time to be here this morning. A time that on a, on a holy day, uh, that all across the country, all across the world, uh, already <laughs> in other parts of the world, that Sunday, has, more, Sunday morning has come and gone, that they have worshiped you and worship your risen son. So God, we thank you for your, your power, your glory, your justice, your rightness, and your justification that comes through Christ. And so I pray that as we partake of these elements, that you would just be honored, glorified, that we would repent of sin that we need to repent of, that we would look to you, the beginner and the finisher of our faith. We love you and we thank you that we can talk to you because of your risen son. And it's in his name of Jesus that I pray, amen.